Everybody, thanks for coming back to the College Age Movement podcast. We are in our fifth and final week of our series, Dear Church, which has just been a walk through the book of Galatians, and we've learned a ton from this letter penned by the Apostle Paul, and so we're going to wrap that up this week, and uh, I hope this series has been good for you. If you're just jumping in uh, this week, I hope that you check out the first four parts of this series. And so throughout this series, we've been talking about a lot of different things, and two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of sonship and and the and Father God, and, and for a lot of us, that's kind of a tricky idea. Because some of us have really good father experiences, some of us have really bad father experiences, some of us don't have father experiences at all because our dads weren't present. But I think it's so important for us to understand what it means to be in sonship with God, that, that we have this ability at an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe because he is a perfect father. He's not just this figure in the sky looking to uh, throw lightning bolts or be upset or to judge us, but he's actually Father God, Abba Father, that, that loves us perfectly. And even if we had great dads like I did here on earth, uh, still not perfect. And so to know that I have a God who is perfect who still wants to have that intimate of a relationship with me is an absolutely incredible thing. And so this week we're going to jump into chapter 5, and we're just going to start right at the very beginning of the chapter. Verse 1, Galatians chapter 5 says this. It says, It is for freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So the first point is this, freedom. And as we've been talking through this entire letter, there has been this consistent theme of Paul pushing against this desire to go back to the old law that they had followed for so long. Now, yoke of slavery might come off as a strong choice of words, but it was a message that Paul wanted to hit as many times as possible. The law was not the foundation anymore. Jesus was now the foundation. There was this old covenant made between God and the nation of Israel, and there's this new covenant made between Jesus and all people And while the law was still important and had vital lessons and it it was the history of the nation of Israel, there was so much value to it. He still wanted to make sure that we understood that we weren't trying to check the boxes anymore. There weren't hundreds of things that we were called to do anymore. It was just about Jesus. And so in another letter in Acts, Paul writes this. He says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. That's Acts chapter 15, verses 10 through 11. And he's trying to communicate that it's not about the law anymore. It's about being who Jesus has called us to be. You see, the law had become a hindrance to an intimate relationship with Jesus for so many people because they were fighting their old way of thinking and this new way of thinking that Jesus brought. It was a set of rules, a set of regulations that made it more difficult to just love God and love people. It was getting in the way of the simplicity of the gospel that Jesus brought. And Paul wanted to kill that idea that they could earn anything. And we talk about that all the time, that grace is unmerited favor. There is nothing that we can do to earn the favor of God. But just like the church was struggling with this idea 2,000 years ago, we still struggle with it today. We go through our lives and we try to figure out what it is that we need to do to earn God's favor, or we we walk around scared that we're going to lose God's favor because of something that we've done, some mistake that we've made. So we cannot earn and do not have to earn anything. We need to take off that yoke. And then Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, he says, "'You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ.'" 
you have fallen away from grace. You see, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, and we will talk about that forever and ever and ever because grace is this unbelievable thing, this unmerited favor of God, this love, this grace, this mercy that we did nothing to achieve, that Jesus came and died on a cross, not because of anything that we done that we had have done, but because of everything that he did. We didn't earn that. He just decided to give it to us. And I think this is the problem. The more that we try to justify ourselves, the further we get away from the message of Jesus. The attempt at self-justification is the opposite of surrender, and that is what we are asked to do. We are asked to surrender our lives to Jesus, that we would lay everything at his feet, and we say, your will be done, not my will, your will. But when we're constantly trying to self-justify ourselves, we are on the other uh, other end of that spectrum. We are trying to do things to earn God's grace and earn his favor when all he wants us to do is just surrender our lives to him. We need to be willing to let go of that idea of self-justification and understand, understand that Jesus is the one who justifies us. So then Paul in verses five through six goes on to say this. He says, for through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, being the Jewish way of living or the Gentile way of living, has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So the first point out of this this set of verses is this. We're eagerly awaiting. We eagerly await. And I just want to ask a question today. Is your relationship with Jesus filled with anticipation? Or is your relationship with Jesus filled with fear? Too many of us live in this uncomfortable spot where we feel more fear in our daily walk with God than we feel excitement and anticipation of what he will do next through us or for us. Fear has become this thing that so many of us struggle with, and that happens on so many different levels. There's so many of us that are listening to this right now, including myself, that we have fear all over the place. We have fear of loss. We have fear of pain. We have fear of future. We have fear of failure. There's so many things that we have deemed worthy of worry. So many things that we have deemed worthy of worry. And and over and over and over in Scripture, God communicates something so clearly that he wants to replace every one of those fears with comfort, with encouragement, with confidence, with excitement. See, our lives with Jesus are not supposed to be filled with fear. They should be filled with anticipation and excitement of what God is going to do next. In Psalm 34, 4, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. That's such a simple verse, but I think it's something that we could lock away in our hearts that we would understand that if we seek the Lord, he will answer us and he will deliver us from all of our fears. And I think that one of the problems is this, is that we often are afraid of that which we really do not know that much about, right? We're often afraid of those people that we honestly don't know much about. We are afraid of situations that we've actually never been in. And there's a phrase that's for so many of us, it's just become so cliche, and that phrase is conquer your fears. And maybe it deserves an eye roll, but I think that there's incredible value behind it. There have been so many times throughout my life where I have needed to conquer my fears, and, and that could be spiritual, that could be relational, that could just be something practical. And, and one of the things that I remember so vividly when it comes to conquering my fears was this, this time when I was about 10 years old, when I was at Silverwood, which is a theme park, and... Uh, I was just terrified. I was, I was a big 10-year-old, so I was like 
I was tall enough for all of the big boy rides, but I didn't want to go on a single one of them. I was just scared of all of them. And there was this rickety wooden roller coaster that I wanted nothing to do with. And I was sitting there and I was just staring at it. And I was like, there's no freaking way that I'm getting on that thing. And then my friend is like, I'm going. And my cousins are like, I'm going. And so they go on this thing and I'm just standing there now, not only full of fear, but also full of this embarrassment and so they go on it, and I can tell they're having so much fun, but I'm still so afraid. And I remember my dad just coming up and put his hand on my shoulder and goes, if you want to go on that, I will go with you. And I was like, all right, I'm in. And so I went on it. And what I love about that is that roller coasters are now one of my favorite things in the world. But if I wouldn't, if I wouldn't have gone on that then, I don't know if I would be going on roller coasters today. And I think that it's, it's just an easy example of when we face our fears, we can find out that God will use those things to become something that he will use for the rest of our lives. Now, that's just something that he uses for fun in my life. But if we would face our fears in our day-to-day life, there are going to be circumstances that God will use for his glory and he will use to shape us and use us. And just like my dad was willing to go with me on that roller coaster, God is willing to go with us on, on and into any fear that we are facing. And I think it's important that we just understand this over and over and over again, is that God is bigger than every single fear that we could face. He is a creator of the universe, yet he's willing to step into those things with us. And over and over again in scripture, it says, do not be afraid. It isn't because there aren't things to be afraid about, but it's a reminder that he's with us. It's a reminder that God, who, who put all of this together, is with us every step of the way. So there's nothing that we should be afraid of because we have the God who has created us. So let's be people who replace the fears of what life may bring with the anticipation of what God is going to do. And then one other thing that I want to talk about is this fear of rejection. Uh, As I was preparing this sermon, I I just felt like that word was coming up over and over and over again for me. And, And I think that I have fear of rejection in my life, and you probably have some fear of rejection in your life, but I want to speak to that as a group, as just a community of people. I want to kill this idea that we should be afraid of rejection because rejection was nailed to the cross. Rejection was nailed to the cross. He died for you. He died for you, not so that you can live in fear of rejection, but so that he could live with you and you with him. So if you are struggling with rejection or the fear of rejection, just understand this, that God loves you so much. He will never reject you. He will never forsake you. He is with you every step of the way. And if if you're feeling like if you step into a relationship with Jesus, that he's going to be disappointed with you, think again, because he loves you just as you are. And I just wanted to communicate that so clearly and take this little bit of time to make sure that I communicate that very, very clear. So the next thing that Paul talks about in this set of scriptures, this is, he says, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts. When we spend too much time trying to do, we fail to allow God room to be God. This idea of faith expressing itself through love was something that Jesus himself had presented. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, Jesus says this, he says, uh, well, let me backtrack just a little bit. So the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to catch Jesus in uh, a lie or they're trying to catch him to say something so that they can put him to death. They want him to say something against the law that would be considered uh, something that would justify capital punishment. And so they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And they, they love this. 
They loved this because this was this was a part of the law. They could accept this. This was this was something that they had been hearing since they were small, small children. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But then Jesus flips the script a little bit and he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, for so long, they, they've been living, living in an eye-for-eye, eye, tooth-for-tooth, finger-for-finger mentality. That, that was what they had been living in. And so this idea of loving the people around him, loving their neighbors, loving people that were living around and, and in their community was not necessarily something that they had been living by. So, so Jesus communicates something so clearly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think so many of us struggle because we feel like the only way we can communicate to God is by checking all of the spiritual boxes. But I just want to suggest that maybe we should just be who God has called us to be and let him be who he is. You see, when we obey these two commandments that Jesus said, everything else hangs upon them, it communicates a clear message. I will control what I can control, but I believe that you will control everything else. I will love you, Jesus. I will love you, God. And I will love the people around me unconditionally. And beyond that, I trust that you will control everything else. And I think that that's a problem that so many of us struggle with, is that we try to control the things that we're really not supposed to be controlling. And we, we get stressed out about things that we can't control. We want other people to do things, and we want, we want circumstances to work out when we really don't have any say in them. But if we would just control, we control. And we can control how we love God, how we pursue God. We can control how we love other people and how we pursue other people. We can control those things. And we just need to trust that we have a God who will control everything else, and he will take care of it for our benefit. You see, obedience communicates trust. I have two kids, and when they are obedient to me, they are communicating to me that they trust me. If I tell them to go do something and they do it, they're saying, I trust that what you are asking me to do is for my betterment. And that's an amazing thing as I, as I look at my kids and I see that. And then as we go back to this idea of God being father, when we are obedient to our father, when we are obedient to God, it communicates to him that we trust him and that we trust that he will come through for us every single time. So then Paul goes on to say in verses seven through nine, you were running a good race. You were running a good race. Who cut in to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So the next point is this, stay the course. Obviously, this letter was written by Paul to a very specific group of people. Paul didn't probably know that we would be studying this letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia 2,000 years later. However, what was applicable then is still applicable today. Some traditional Jewish people were trying to cut back into the lies, the lives of those following Jesus and trying to persuade them on the small things. And I think that we have things that are trying to cut in on our lives, whether it be people or things that seem like small things, but we all know this truth. Small things can very easily turn into big things. So for the church in Galatia, what they were struggling with was this relationship with people that had beliefs different than them. And so a question that I want to ask today is this, are the relationships in my life bringing me closer to Jesus or are they pushing me further away? Are my relationships in my life pushing me closer to Jesus or are they pushing me further away? I always talk about this, this idea of influenced versus influencer. 
that every relationship has one. You are either the influencer or you are the one being influenced. And that can be on a day-to-day basis or that can just be the, in the grand scope of your relationship. But we have to make sure that when we are putting ourselves in relationships, if we are looking at people who do not follow Jesus, that's amazing. We should be hanging out with so many people who do not believe what we believe. But if we are being influenced more by what they are doing than we are influencing the way that they are living their lives, we need to pull back a little bit. In the, in the relationships where we are the influenced, we need to make sure we're being influenced towards Jesus. And we need to make sure that we're influencing others towards Jesus as well. So are my relationships pulling me closer to Jesus or pushing me further away? Constantly be asking yourself that question. Look at the relationships in your life that you need to dive into stronger, harder, the, the, the relationships that you need to be more intentional with and the, the relationships where you're like, man, maybe I should pull back from this because I'm being influenced in a negative way more than I'm influencing them in a positive way. We have to be smart with our relationships. And secondly, are the things that I am doing in my life, are they bringing me closer to Jesus? Or are they pushing me further away? Now, I am not saying that every little thing that you do has to be intentionally spiritual, but what I am saying is that everything that you do has the potential to be spiritual. Everything that you do has the potential to be spiritual, for good or bad. We too often fail to recognize the spiritual impact of seemingly insignificant things. We have to understand that there is a spiritual element to everything that we do. That show that we're watching, that hobby that we're participating in, that chunk of time we spent, does it have the potential to bring me closer to Jesus? Absolutely it does. So we have to be, be intentional about making sure that we give space for God to grow us, even in this what seems to be insignificant. Your lunches, your coffee, all of those things, they can be spiritual experiences. That doesn't mean that we have to be weird and we have to make sure that there's like a prayer before every single thing that we do. But if we can tap into the idea that everything can be spiritual, you take that dog on a walk and you're like, man, God is good. This dog is amazing. I am blessed with this dog, the beautiful city that I live in, or this is a beautiful hike I'm on, whatever it is. And if we start to have that mentality, we'll start to see God work in incredible ways. It will pull us closer to Jesus. And then verse nine says, a little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough, which means that if we do not pay attention to the little things in our lives, it can work into every part of our life. And that's for good or bad. But if we don't pay attention to that one negative thing in our life, it can start to work its way into the whole batch of dough that is our life. And if we make those little good decisions, if we start interjecting those positive things and those Jesus things into our life in little ways, we will start to see how that is impacting our life as a whole. And then the last set of scripture we're going to look at is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the last uh, point is this. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Everything in our humanity wants us to go in certain directions, but God has so much more for us. You see, freedom is an incredible thing if we wield it correctly. We are not bound by the same rules and restrictions that the nation of Israel was, and that's awesome, but if we use it correctly, that is a big if, though. Even one of us, every one of us, could probably identify a time when we took advantage of our freedom. 
knowing that God's grace is bigger than any mistake you have made or ever will make should bring so much hope and so much comfort and so much confidence. The problem is, is that our humanity often turns that comfort and that confidence and that excitement into temptation because our humanity, our flesh, is always in opposition to us walking in the Spirit. Every one of us has probably found ourselves in a situation where we said, I will just this once do this because God will forgive me. And yes, God will forgive you, but that is not the mentality that we are supposed to have. It says, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Paul knew that this was going to be a newfound freedom and that it would lead to some hard decisions. So he made it clear, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Do not indulge in the flesh, walk by the Spirit. So a question that we have to ask ourselves is, is what I am doing right now what Jesus would have me do? Is what I am doing right now what Jesus would have me do? That is answering one question instead of trying to make sure you aren't breaking a hundred different rules. But rather, is what, am I, what I'm doing right now what Jesus would have me do? Then Paul says, serve one another humbly in love and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, liberty in Christ isn't a license to sin. It is the freedom to serve. It isn't a license to sin. It's the freedom to serve. It's the freedom to serve God. It is the freedom to serve others. While the nation of Israel had hundreds of laws and rules and regulation, ours comes down to a pretty simple list. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. Love God, love people, for the entire law is fulfilled when we do these two things. I've been reading this book, and I just want to end with this. It's, it's, a, it's been a really, really good book, and it's talking about our faith and how our faith is resistible and how people look at our faith and they don't want anything to do with it. And it's how do, how do we get back to what following Jesus was right after Jesus came and died and rose again and then ascended to heaven. Like, what was it that was so attractive about followers of Jesus? And one of the phrases that he uses is in every situation, instead of trying to check boxes, instead of trying to overcomplicate it, I just ask myself this question. What would love require of me? What would love require of me? What would love require of me in this relationship? What would love require of me in this situation? And because God is love, I think that we can replace that word with Jesus. What would Jesus require of me? Instead of trying to jump through all the different hoops, if I would just ask myself that question, what would Jesus require of me in this situation, in this relationship? I think I would find myself on the right side of God a lot more than I would find myself feeling guilty or ashamed. So let's be people, let's be a community that asks ourselves a question, what would love require of me? Well, thank you so much for tuning back into the College Age Movement podcast. We have a couple events coming up, so the podcast will be uh, a little bit silent for the next few weeks, but we will be back with a new series starting in March. And so we hope that you come to College Age the next couple weeks, 7 o'clock at Faith Chapel here in Billings, Montana. We have family dinner next week. We have movement experience after that. It's going to be a rad couple weeks. But if you cannot make those things and you're waiting for the podcast, we will see you in March. We love you guys.